Howdy, I'm Paul Isaacoder, and this is Author's Dozen, a podcast where I explore barriers to storytelling by writing one novel every month for 12 months. Please enjoy. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So wait, did the earrings come from the sons? All the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. So wait, everybody had an earring? Like... The babies? They had baby earrings? And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. Where did you learn how to make gold calves, dude? This is kind of impressive. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Oh, hi there. I didn't see you there, because it's a podcast. A... very... not... visual... medium. But you just caught me reading the Bible. And I'm a little weirded out, because... In this, the book of Exodus, uh, God is about to make an X of the Israelites. Get it? Uh, He's about to break up with them because they made a calf, I guess. Pretty weird, right? I mean, I I wouldn't think of this as such a big deal. Probably. Unless, here, let's picture, like, say on your wedding night, after the celebration's done, you eagerly seek your significant other only to find them already in bed, making passionate adult time to some form under the covers. Your grievous anger turns to confusion as you rip off the blankets and find a pile of fibrous horse dung formed into the shape of a human. What the crap is this? You ask your new spouse appropriately. Uh, And the spouse says, well, but this is my wedding night and this is who I married. Did that gross you out? Well, for a number of reasons, probably, but truth matters. It matters for the person telling the truth and the person hearing it. Misrepresentation is perhaps one of the most offensive things a person can do. And I've been getting a lot of truth lately at this critics collab where we're having people on who are very knowledgeable about stories and they're telling me what I did right and wrong in my books. And I love it. I love the truth and I can handle the truth. So, If you're wondering where September's book is, it's in revision. And I know that the goal was to just toss the book out in its raw state like a like a bunch of giblets and whatnot from that turkey that they put in the turkey even though they know you're not going to use it. But there's a small change that turns this book from a mere relating of events into a work that tells the truth. Now, are you surprised that I draw that distinction? After all, we 21st century Westerners believe there's no real difference between accuracy and truth. According to our assumptions, accuracy is a clear-eyed view of events portrayed without slant or bias. We're just pure neutral. So then is truth. Alright, here are two statements. Red is how the brain interprets light, ranging from 620 to 750 nanometers, that encounters the human eye. And here's the second one. Red is the color of passion. It attracts the eye to death and rebirth to the heat of life that sustains but burns. Alright, which is true and which is accurate? Well, that very much depends on what you're trying to get across. If you're talking to someone about red's qualia and what red is like to this subjective human being, the second statement is more true and more accurate. But if you're talking about how to create or identify red light on a computer screen, the latter is more accurate and true. 
These two truth types are very different, but very similar. They describe the same phenomenon with great accuracy and truth, and yet, if you try to combine them, the tufted capuchin's retina detected the 700 nanometer wavelength reflected from a large deposit of aluminum oxide. While Abu's gentle soul had, in the past, overcome his instinct for greed, the jewel was so close, so tempting, so immediate. Unable to draw upon his higher reasoning to resist the resulting chemical reaction, the tufted captor chin put one paw in front of the other in a stepping motion in the direction of the wavelength. All right, that was the movie Aladdin. Did you catch it? The movie Aladdin, it benefits from choosing one form of truth over another, you see. It's the movie that mixes the real with the unreal. Humans and tufted capuchins exist alongside improv comedy genies and a very weird view of the Middle East. Some of these things exist. Others are mere fantasy. Now, Aladdin is a pretty good movie that tells a certain form of truth. What it's like to be down on your luck, wishing to be a part of a world that you've been denied by birth. Is it a truthful depiction of Arabian Nights? Uh, of course not. Even a football coach trying to pass themselves off as a history teacher wouldn't play Aladdin in class to get out of teaching. No, you gotta, you gotta do the historically rigorous uh, Mel Gibson and Ridley Scott movies. Come on, get it together, man. If you're gonna write, you must decide on which truth to tell. And while no truth is inherently superior to another, telling the wrong truth at the wrong time is unhelpful at best. You'll know this if you've ever answered the polite, how are you today? With the truthful, I am ugly, sick, and evil. And if there's any reason for my existence, it is a baffling and cruel mystery to me. All right, in the novel, now titled SS Terminus, there are levels of truth that are helpful and unhelpful. Is it true that ships a few hundred years back had a frankly indecipherable level of complexity to all but the most salt-seasoned seamen? Sure. And I could tell that truth in two ways. One truth would be to list every rope and knot and rivet in the boat. Another truth would be to have a character who's confused by maritime terminology, as you and I probably would be. And the character sort of views those who navigate it as nothing short of astronaut magicians. I've chosen to skew toward the latter, as most of my audience are not 17th century sailors, and don't get much else from the former than a headache. But how do you know what truth is best at what time? Well. That very much depends on that triangle I had you draw a few episodes back, the one which had points labeled you, audience, and truth, respectively. The truth you tell in your writing will be a compromise between the three. If you write a truth that's only aimed at your audience, you'll write a truth that doesn't challenge anyone. If you write a truth just for yourself, nobody will listen or care. But what about a truth that's written only for truth's sake? Insofar as such a thing could be done, the closest example would be a sort of dry, exhaustive report that issues anything you or I would call emotional or relevant. It doesn't even communicate anything, so why would you write it down, you dummy? I bring this up because I am so far behind my 12 books, 12 months goal that I've decided to make one of these books nonfiction. It's not lazy. It's not copping out. It's actual writing that I did for the podcast. You're hearing a passage from said book right now. Bloopity bloop. 
I wrote that in the book. This is all very planned out. Now, adapting the writing I've done for the podcast into a coherent bit of creative nonfiction is going to take way more than just copy-pasting the words into a new document. It's an entirely new form, but I do digress. The reason I'm thinking about truth right now is I've heard people confuse nonfiction for truth. That is, some people I speak to believe that only nonfiction is worth reading, or at least that it's more worth reading than fiction. This is true in some ways and untrue in others. Imagine a world without fiction. Imagine a world where every story we tell one another must be deeply grounded in our personal reality. What would we be missing in this world? Well, for one, we would be unable to imagine a world where fiction does or does not exist, as such a counterfactual would be counter to fact. But perhaps more importantly than being stuck in a paradox, we could not imagine any mind outside of our own. Any attempt to understand someone who is not fully transparent, and there is no such person, would be completely unknowable and therefore unimaginable. One couldn't attempt to understand the reasoning of one's family, one's neighbor, one's various hobbies and pets and hobby horses, because those would all be outside of our experience and any sort of empathetic narrative we create in our heads are at least potentially fictional. You believe that I exist, that I have feelings and thoughts as I write the words and speak them and you can't know. You can only make up a story in your head. I can only be made up so far as you can tell. I might be just a human-shaped piece of crap. You have no idea. Even in nonfiction, you see, there's fiction. There's an assumption that the world didn't pop into existence last Tuesday, replete with false memories of what came before. There's an assumption that other human beings experience the world as we do, as qualia, and that some facts are more important to tell than others. Nonfiction, in the end, is just a constructed retelling of facts which can be bent to fit almost any narrative, and which can be portrayed as unadulterated truth. In some ways, fiction tells the truth more than nonfiction. It presents worlds in which we can imagine things to be different. Like, do you believe that Americans are inherently more moral than Germans? That it can't happen here? Read Sinclair Lewis, imagine how America might operate under a fascist regime. Do you believe that you could stand against evil? Read the stories of shirkers and heroes and Hyperion. Put yourself in the place of the characters and you'll see what you want to be, and you'll flee the dread potential inside of you. And so, as I reorder and revise these chapters to express just what I think I've learned through the patent-pending Paul Yoder's patented author's dozen process patented, I'll be coming up with entirely new truths by the way I reorganize and contextualize the writing I've already done. And at the same time, I'll be reordering the SS Terminus. I've discovered something, a truth that I didn't know I was telling at the beginning. Oh, it was only the beginning of September. I was so innocent. Sure, I set out to write a truth, but another truth turned out to be more truthier than my less truthy truth. Because why else tell stories to entertain, surely, or if you're dumb, to gain some kind of financial or social status. But if it's only that, then the naysayers are right, and fiction really is meaningless. Make your story do something to those who read it. Isn't that incredible that the made-up can make you and me into what we are today? Isn't that something worth working toward? Like, what else can we do but stay true to truth? And in the interest of truth, I'm going to tell you, I... Don't know how I'm going to finish 12 books by the end of this year. 
it's gonna be a race and I probably will be a few days over or maybe a few weeks over. I don't know. But in any case, we got more critics collabs coming up. We got um, cool guests. We got a bunch of cool guests that you can go back and listen to right now who read over my books and talked about them a little bit and figured out, you know, how to stop writing bad books. It's pretty great. Our guests are really smart, you guys. Like, one of them told me, like, hey, we don't, we don't die for abstract principles, you know, give your characters something, like, really concrete to fight for. Um, we had another person, you know, tell us that, hey, something cool that you can do to build your characters is have them bake a bake a cake or something you know uh, cook a meal see what they do with it um we had another guy talk about not just skipping to the good bits but sort of table setting and getting this uh world laid out before you start tearing it apart so i've been writing a bunch and i thought like ah oh, man there's so many things to talk about with a novel about colonialism and aliens coming down and being colonial and uh, this false superiority that humans have over humans when there are such possibly bigger things in the world. And I did the thing again where I was looking at actual historical issues that come up and that I want to talk about, but being too dumb and scared to actually research and do it myself on our world and feeling totally like a fraud and so I just did another thing where I made up another world. There are a lot of great resources out now where you can sort of make your own maps and you can create like a separate Wikipedia for yourself to keep everything in place and so yeah it's it's not too difficult to throw together a world that sort of makes sense. Um, the trouble becomes when you get caught up in that. And I've talked about that before where, you know, you have this uh, stalling tactic where you're like, oh, I'm working. I'm working for sure. There's a, a look at all this map and stuff that I'm making. And it's like, ah, it doesn't actually matter that much to the characters and to the plot and whatever. So like get down to writing and you'll find that stuff. Um, another thing that sort of reared its ugly rear is that uh, I keep getting off track. So you know how when you're talking, you can tend to just sort of build on the sentence that you're currently talking about and say one thing after another without sticking to the subject? Well, that can happen with writing and it super does. So one thing I've been doing to this book is that I sort of was following the natural course of events and like, oh, so uh, they run out of resource A and so they have to go get it and that leads to running out of resource B or whatever. And I mean, that doesn't actually happen, but you get the idea. And so I just lost track of the central truth that I was telling. So what I have now is I, I write in big giant letters and stick it right in front of my desk so that I can see it every single day. It says, live, laugh, love. Uh, no, it says the point of the story is we try to make ourselves superior over other people in order to gain some kind of security, but we ain't never going to get that. And nothing is more apparent in 2020 than that we mean nothing and that 
every large-scale human attempt will be like tripping on its own feet and will never go anywhere. We're the worst. We have nothing, nothing to look forward to. Except for that Chick-fil-A, that leftover Chick-fil-A breakfast that these nice people left me that I have cooking in the oven. Oh, me oh my. If you're microwaving your food, uh, you're an idiot. Give yourself a little bit more time. Put that baby in an oven, you know? And, and isn't that the isn't that the way, you know? A little preparation. You, you get a nice crispy golden crust. Uh, and that's what you should do with your writing. That's what this podcast is all about, is getting that crusty, crusty crust. Oh, I gotta go. The oven is on, and I'm... I, I, I gotta eat, guys. You can tell, by the way, that this podcast is going, that I am not full of food. Do you foretell portents of doom when you're hungry? I sure do. Foretelling portents? Ugh, man. All right, Chick-fil-A report. Um, through the magic of time travel and editing, I have made a substantial deposit in my COVID fat bank. And uh, let me tell you, it's it's paying dividends, if you know what I mean. But now I'm rip rearing, rearing, rapping to go. And uh, here's another writing lesson for you, my my good pal and friend, is don't waste your energy on bull-loney. There's so much bull-loney out there right now, guys. So much internet crud that doesn't deserve your attention. If you're feeling good, hey, great for you. Now's the time to maybe do a little bit of work. You know, the car's full of gas. You know, you don't, uh, you know, just don't just leave it in the garage. You know what I mean, Tony? All right. Okay. Now for something serious. People are asking, oh, what'll happen after the author's dozen podcast? What'll happen when 2020 turns into 2021 and it'll ruin all the New Year's Eve glasses that have the holes in them where the numbers are. You know what I mean. Oh, well, here's your answer. You nosy little priors. I actually don't know. And that is why you should always plan these things out, you know? As we were talking about plotting out your story, uh, maybe I neglected to talk about plotting out your life. So I decided early on in this process that I would hold myself to 2,000 words a day um, and with a few breaks here and there. Uh, and yeah, that's been a tough schedule to keep, but it did give me a schedule, did give me an outline to roughly stick to, and accountability has kept me more or less on track. But that said, you know, your story does not just entail like, oh, hey, they do this and then they do this and then they do this. They write 2,000 words and 2,000 words and 2,000 words. No, there needs to be a long-term plan, a what to do with these books. So here's what I'm thinking right now. I'm thinking I'll choose my favorites out of these, and I will take time to expand upon them. And what that looks like is writing a little bit more, um, getting, uh, you know, soliciting opinions from you guys, sort of workshopping. There's this thing in gaming called beta testing. And that is where basically people pay you to uh, play your game that is pretty broken. And then 
you take their money and their reports of the bugs and you make a better game and then you sell that. And so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let you guys read the things for free as I've been doing. Um, but if you feel so inclined to sort of donate your time afterwards, I would love if you give me a little write up of like, oh, hey, this is what I thought and I'm pretty smart. And this, so there you go. Take that. And I'll be like, well, thank you, sir or ma'am or whatever. And uh, I will put that in my little database, my little computer, and it'll go boop, 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 and it'll come out with what to do with the book. And uh, yeah, so if that is you, I would love that to be you. Send me stuff at authorsdozen at gmail.com. Uh, I'll keep an eye on that. And then uh, something that I was sort of planning to always do with this podcast is the revision process. So once we've sort of called the herd a little bit, you know, taken the bottom six stories and just be like, hey, I don't like you anymore. And then drown them in a puddle. And then once they're dead, we can, we can take those, you know, take the good elements out of them, harvest their organs. Oh boy, this is a dark metaphor. Anyway, we'll take the goodest ones and we'll be like, hey, you, you did good. You walked around all by yourself. You make it on to the next round, you little Spartan baby that didn't get exposed on the mountainside. Well, we're going to take you and we're going to we're going to put you through the ringer. We're going to shave off the bad bits, add to the good bits. There's going to be bits all over the place. And uh, the revision process is probably where actual writing gets done. And you're like, oh, this is such a waste of time, me listening to this podcast. Well, no, there is a creativity level to what I'm doing right now. Uh, but the actual craft level so takes place in the revision. There is so much about creativity that's just awesome and exciting. And you just get stuff out there. But then the like critic in me and the artist in me gets to take a crack at it and be like, ah, you know, that was fun. Way to play around with that. Now it's time to make it into something that's worth other people taking a look at. Um, not to say that what I put out isn't fun, but you know the you know the deal. There's a reason I'm giving it out for free and not charging you for it. So if you want to have a say in which of my children survive and which are turned into giblets, you can go over to authorsdozen.com. You can register all sorts of opinions there and you can read the books and you can judge for yourself. Get out there. Make it happen. Oh, I'm, I feel like I'm forgetting something. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Uh, the spineless call to just go out and vote. No matter who you vote for, it's good to vote. And I can tell you to vote and it will not alienate any of my audience. No need to take a stand on concentration camps or the hundreds of children who we just lost their parents. Uh-oh, that's a real whoopsie-daisy. Not gonna bring up how there are no good choices to vote for in a two-party system. Just go vote. Voting is good.